We come to the message this morning, and I'm going to look at the blessings of Pentecost, the blessings of the pouring out of the Spirit, because they're real, they're vibrant, they're life-giving, and in a very true sense, my hope is that when you, we come through this this morning, you will be very encouraged because you will be able to identify the fact that the Spirit is at work in your life, or you'll be very awakened to the fact that He's not. And, and then you will be able to see that, and with eyes wide open, either give thanks to God and praise Him, or run to God and flee Him and find salvation in Him and, and the fullness of the Spirit. So let's pray that God would bless our time. Father, you are marvelous in all your ways, and we give you great thanks, because on this day, some 2,000 plus years ago, you poured out your Spirit on the church, which was one amazing and phenomenal blessing. We're so thankful, we're so grateful that you, you have done this for us, that you have done something that was long awaited and anticipated, an aspect of the gospel that is so often not gloried in. This morning, please help us to see it, to know it, to understand it. Use me as your servant, fill me with your spirit so that you might work mightily in the hearts and minds of your people. For we ask this in Christ. Amen. Amen. To set the tone for this message this morning, I want to quote an article from Peter Lightheart, who wrote on the spirit of Pentecost three years ago. And I believe it's absolutely brilliant in how he ties in the work of the spirit throughout all of Scripture. And it serves as a beautiful meditation and, and introduction to the message. Here's how it goes. What do we have when we have the Spirit? We have everything. All the treasures of God hidden away in the depths of God from before the foundation of the world become ours through the Spirit of Pentecost. He is the gift from the Father and the Son, the gift above all gifts, the gift containing all gifts. At Pentecost, God gives God. What more could we ask? He's the sevenfold spirit who works through the seven days of creation and throughout the week of history. The spirit hovers over the waters to form the formless emptiness into the ordered beauty of the cosmos. When Israel is a dry and thirsty land with no water, Yahweh pours out his spirit to make the wilderness a fruitful field and the fruitful field a forest. The Spirit hovers over the womb of Mary and recreates humanity. And the Father breathes the Spirit onto the corpse of Jesus to raise Him to the resurrected life. The created Spirit descends on Bezalel and Oholiad so that using gold and bronze, linen and wood, they can shape a microcosm of the Spirit's creation. The Creator Spirit makes each member of the church, each Bezalel, each Oholiab, a creative builder to edify the new humanity that is the church. The Spirit is the warrior spirit who clothes Othiniel and Gideon, Jephthah and Samson and Saul, and trains their hands to fight. He descends on Jesus like a dove and drives him into the wilderness to battle Satan. By the Spirit, Jesus heals. By the Spirit, he casts out demons. By the Spirit, he cleanses lepers. By the Spirit, he topples Satan's kingdom. 
By the Spirit, he binds the strong man and plunders his house. The Spirit is the Spirit of tongues. He reverses the confusion of Babel and gathers the nations to confess one Lord with one mouth. He is the spirit of prophecy who goes from Moses to all, to fill others, who catches up Saul among the prophets, who comes at Pentecost so that old men will see visions and young men dream dreams. Filled with the spirit, David speaks in rhyme, for he is the spirit of poetry, the muse of the triune God. Relying on the Spirit, the apostles testify to kings and governors. He is the rhetoric of God. Through the Spirit, Mary, Zechariah, and and Simeon break into song, for the Spirit is the music of God. The Spirit is the breath that gives life, the fiery blast of God's nostrils that melts mountains and consumes the earth with like brimstone. He is the breath of the bridegroom, fragrant as apples to his bride. The Spirit is the wind that blows away the waters of the flood and that brings famine to Egypt. He's the wind that opens dry land in the midst of the sea. He's the wind that breaks the rocks of Horeb, the wind that brings dry bones to life, and the wind that drives chaff away. God's Pentecostal wind blows where He wills. You hear its sound, but can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. So are all who are born of the Spirit. The Spirit is rain from heaven to make the desert bloom like a rose. He is the water of Meribah that bursts out when Moses strikes the rock that is Christ. Moses' words drop as rain and distill as dew, and the kings who walk by the Spirit is like rain upon the mown grass. The Spirit rains from the throne of God and becomes a river that turns the Dead Sea fresh. The Spirit is the oil flowing from the head of the new Aaron, down his beard, down the skirts of his garment, anointing us as priests and kings of the greater Melchizedek. He is the oil that burns in the lampstand set on a hill to shine in the darkness, and he is the flame of that oil. The Spirit is the fragrant oil mixed with frankincense that makes us an aroma of life unto life and death unto death. End quote. Now, that's a fabulous journey right there. That is what we've received. This is the blessing of the Spirit. The Spirit is a marvelous aspect of God, like God, the three in one, the Spirit of God, the one who comes and can dwell in us. This morning, we're going to focus on a few specific blessings that we have received in the Spirit. And the first one I want us to look at, and perhaps most obvious blessing of all, is that this fact that the Spirit dwells in us. Now, that's not something that should cause us to say, Wow, Dean, how brilliant, how novel the Spirit dwells in us. I've never heard this concept before. What are you going to say about that? Well, the blessings of it, we need to meditate on this and see that it's truly profound that the Spirit of God dwells in us. John fourteen sixteen through 18 says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. And then down in verse 20 of this chapter, 
It says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Do you realize what's just saying there? What he's saying there is that Jesus brings this triune communion together, the fellowship of the Trinity dwells in you. And how does that happen? By the Spirit. Because Jesus said earlier in John, he says, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And here he's saying, you'll have, a helper's going to come, he's going to be with you, and when he dwells you with you, the Father and the Son dwell with you. Why? How? They're one. They are one in the same. So Jesus says, if you have the Spirit, you have me. This is why in Scripture several times you'll hear this. Christ dwelling in us. Christ dwells in us? How does Christ dwell in us? He dwells us in the Spirit. And if the Spirit is with us, Christ is with us. How is that possible? They're one in the same. The union and communion of the triune God, you can't separate them. But yet you'd have to distinguish them because they're separate, they're different persons. You have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Spirit. But if you have the Spirit, then you have the Father and the Son as well. And as Mike pointed out this morning, you know, Jesus in his flesh cannot dwell in all of us, but when Jesus ascends to the Father and pours out the Spirit, then Jesus can dwell in all of us. And you know, this is just something else, because for 4,000 years prior to the pouring out of the Spirit, you have to understand that God's people did not commune with God in their spirit. They didn't. They prayed to God and thought of God simply in heaven or in the temple in Jerusalem. And God was with them in many ways. You hear the language, God was with them. God was with them. He went with them. He went before them. But here's something he was not. God was not in them. And this was the blessing that would come. And this is, in fact, what he says. He says, listen to Jesus in John 14, verse 18. You know him, for he dwells with you, he says, and will, will, future tense, be in you. It's going to change. Something's going to shift here. And, and, and so it isn't uncommon for us to, today to not always understand exactly the significance of this or to get very used to it or think that, you know, it's just, yeah, I've heard this before. God dwells in us. Hmm. Thanks. Great. Wonderful. And, the, and part of the reason why this do, is not as transformative as it ought to be is because we don't cultivate the mindset We don't walk around and live our lives understanding this fact. God dwells in me. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the reason he can say that is because the Spirit was poured out on Pentecost and now dwells in us. You know, I remember when I first came to know God, it revolutionized me. And no one had to tell me that God dwelt in me. Because I knew. I simply talked to him and delighted in him and had a conversation with him and communed with him. It wasn't because someone says, hey, by the way, you know, you need to know something. God dwells in you. It was just, it was, it was just simply weird. Even when I, would, when I would read the scriptures, he would communicate to me in my spirit. And I would speak to him and it was as if like there was something going on. And I didn't even understand that. You know, all I understood when I was a Christian, that Jesus was God. That was it. I didn't know really anything about the Father and I knew nothing about the Spirit. I didn't know that. I I just thought God, God somehow was just communicating with me in my spirit. and, and, And I had a relationship with him through Jesus. That's all I knew. 
And it was so strange and weird and delightful to me to have this communion and this relationship with God that would take years before I finally understood what was going on. I didn't even get it. Here's something else I discovered as well, though. I distinctly remember grieving the Spirit. I distinctly remember sinning, and I distinctly remember not liking any more that I had this sense that God was with me. Because if you've ever gone off and sinned, and you now possess the Spirit of God, it actually starts to feel like a living hell. And I remember prior to, to coming to know God, I actually remember sinning and delighting in it. It was a wonderful thing. Just go on sinning, do all the sinning you want, and not really be bothered one bit unless I got caught doing something I shouldn't. And that's what bothered me. It bothered me that I got caught. But now everything was different. I would go on and I would sin. And now I didn't like the fact when I was, when I was this sin, and I, and I want to kind of want to try to keep this sin or delight in this sin, and now I couldn't. And that bothered me. I was like, this isn't such a great idea now, this whole idea that God dwells with me. And he's right there. It's like my conscience was burning. I was convicted, and, I, and, and it was just awful. I could no longer enjoy sin. And I remember at times thinking, this is, this is the worst. I'm having the hardest time ever walking as a Christian, and I'm having the hardest time ever sinning as a, like I used to as a non-Christian. And now I was like, yeah, this life sucks because I didn't understand how it all worked. And so when I repent of my sin, and there was nothing, no sin between me and God, that I wasn't walking in sin, but I, I repent and turn to it, I found all of a sudden the sweetness of the communion back, and I delighted once again in the fact that God dwells in me. And you know what? This is something that we all need to cultivate. And I can't tell you how much of a difference it'll make in your life. Believe me, cultivate this. Cultivate the fact the awareness, the mindset that God is with you. And when you realize God is with you and you commune with him in your spirit and you're aware of it, it's incredibly delightful when you're not walking in sin. It's incredibly delightful. And it's a, it's a tremendous blessing. But here's the thing we do. We might have, we might be mindful of it. Say here in church, you're mindful of the fact that God dwells in you. This is what happened with the pouring out of the spirit, that God is no longer just with you. He's now in you. And when you're mindful of it and you're communing with him, it's delightful. But as soon as you become no longer mindful of it, you find that you can really begin to struggle. You can begin to struggle with all kinds of things. You begin, to, you know, I, I know me personally, when my mind are on the, is on the things of the flesh, my mind are on the things of this world, my mind is on, on all the things going around me, and I'm not mindful of the fact that God dwells in me and is with me, I find myself, I begin to worry more, I doubt more. I question more, I struggle more, I fail more, I sin more, I do all kinds of things more that are just not good. And this is all because I drift away from being mindful of the fact that God is with me. My mind is no longer set on the spirit and the things of the spirit, but my mind is set on the flesh and the things of the flesh. And this is just it, Romans 8 working out perfectly. This is exactly what he says. He who sets his mind on the things of the flesh walks according to the flesh. He who sets his mind on the things of the spirit walks according to the spirit. 
And so this is huge for our lives. And here's something that's never going to happen. You'll never hear, yeah, be mindful of God. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Set your mind on Him and the fact that He dwells in you. And it makes a huge difference in your life. You can't go from here today and say, yep, one decision. Today I will decide I will be mindful of the fact that God dwells in me by the Spirit and everything will be different forever. It's not going to happen. It doesn't happen like that. This is a journey that you walk on and something you have to cultivate. If you have got to grow in it, my, my goal and passion is that if I look at the trajectory of my life is to get to the point where I can say that the vast majority of my day, I was living in a state being mindful of the fact that God dwells in me and communing with him. That's, but you realize how that just doesn't happen. Even though that's my goal and the, I, I pursue my whole life to get there, I just hope that at the end of my days, I'm way farther along than I am now. As I, but only as I cultivate it. I cultivate it. And, and, and this is something that you, you have to cultivate. You have to work at. You, can, you can't just... Uh, sit there and grovel and wonder why you're not doing it and think that, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna set my mind on, on, on cultivating the set fact that the God dwells with me. And then get super discouraged when you fail in five minutes. And you struggle, you struggle to be aware of this or just think that it's just not worth it. Please believe me, it's worth it. Cultivate it. Spend your life cultivating the fact and, and, and meditating on the fact that God dwells with you. It's a game changer. You know, one of the verses I love to quote to myself, especially in any kind of situation where I get my mind off the fact that God dwells in me and my mind on my circumstances and my situations and these t- things that can terrify you. You know, how, you know, one of the most terrifying things to do for people is to get up in front of people and speak like I'm doing right now. A lot of people would rather die. It's proven that it's one of the great phobias of humanity because the moment you get up here, your mind is consumed with what every, you think everybody's thinking about you. And here's one of the things I love to do because believe me, when I first even started preaching, I was horrible and I, and I was terrified. Terrified. I was so terrified my knees were knocking and I couldn't even think of my material. All I was consumed about is how stupid I probably sounded and, and, and what everybody thought of me. And good thing I had notes. I've tried it a couple times without notes and I was like all over the place because if you ever try talking but your mind is not in what you're talking about but it's just on what everybody, you think everybody's thinking of you, that, that is a horrible experience. And so what's happening in that situation is I, I fixing my mind and my thoughts on what other people are thinking about me and not on God. And this is a, one of the things that I've, I've grown to love is the Isaiah 41 verse. There's other verses to speak of it, but which says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do, be not dismayed, for I am the Lord your God. I will strengthen you, I'll help you, and I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. And when I speak those words, and I, and I, and I, I just remind, what I'm reminding my, myself, and I could even say this, I can go one step further, because that's the old covenant speaking in Isaiah, and the new covenant, you should say, fear not, for I am in you. Fear not, Dean, for I am in you. And I will uphold you, for I am the Lord your God. Isn't that awesome? And when you fix your mind on that, 
And when my mindset is like, I'll do this often, I'll even stand at the back of the room before I approach and come up here because one thing I don't want is I don't want Dean to be here. I don't want to be mindful of me. I want to be mindful of God and what, and exalt Him and glorify His Word and just totally forget about myself. And it's a beautiful place to live, being mindful of the fact that God is in me right now. And so it's, whom, whom shall I fear? What shall I fear? I tell you what, you will be a fearful person in life as long as you continue to fix your mind on yourself and on other people and on your circumstances and situations and you forget the reality of Pentecost. The reality of Pentecost is this, that God now dwells in you by the Spirit. And I'm, that's life transforming when you get it, when you cultivate that in your mind. Not just It's not a doctrine or a concept that you hear about one day and say, yeah, he talked about Pentecost and the glories of God's Spirit being poured out on us, and it was, yeah, whatever. And you get back into your day, and then you just start thinking about what you're cooking this afternoon and, and whatever he's going to think about it, and then uh, what you're doing and, and all your worries and all your concerns and all your troubles and all, all this and all that. Your mind is consumed with that. I'll guarantee you... You are not living or walking in the fullness of the Spirit, and you're basically neglecting the gift of Pentecost. It's a beautiful thing when we cultivate the mindset and live there and dwell there and set our minds on the blessings of it. And this blessing is directly related to another one, and it's the Spirit's power is with us. Now, once again, this isn't, this isn't obviously a new revelation. Well, the Spirit's power is with us. But there are realities to this that we, we do not live out. Remember Peter prior to Pentecost? The tough guy? His, by words, anyways. Jesus, I'll never deny you. He always he thought highly of himself because he was a bold guy. He was the boldest of all the, the, the apostles. So in his flesh, by his personality, there was no one bolder. <laughs> He's the one, if anyone's going to step out on the water, it's Peter. If anyone's going to stand up and, and, and speak out, it's Peter. And he probably had quite a bit of confidence in his flesh, but he had not yet been possessed by the Spirit and he denies his Lord three times, even to a servant girl. Who was Peter after Pentecost? He was a different man. He boldly declares Jesus to the highest authorities in Jerusalem. What's the difference? The Spirit of God. Listen to how it records it in Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 13. On the day, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who are of the high priestly family. Do you realize who's here now? Who's gathering together? This is the elite of the elite of Jerusalem. These are the big dogs. So if you're to be intimidated by any human person, these are the people that you're going to be intimidated by. You can't go to anybody who has more power, who has more authority, who has more respect in the community, who's more esteemed. These are them. And when they had set them before them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? This is after John and Peter had healed the crippled man in the temple. Then Peter, listen to this, then Peter, filled with the Spirit, said to them, 
Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you. The builders whom has become the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, let me tell you. In no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now listen to this. Now when they heard this, They saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. And they were astonished. Like, oh, wow, look at the chutzpah. I love this next line. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus because they're just like him. They're as bold as a lion. Now, why is that? Well, it says in the text, Peter being filled with the Spirit. (laughs) That's why. This is a different Peter than the one we saw in the Gospels. This isn't the Peter who who denies Jesus before a servant girl. This is a Jesus who, who, I'm sorry, this is a Peter who proclaims Jesus before the Sanhedrin, before the high priest, and boldly points his finger at them and says, you guys are the ones who did it. You know, this is the way it is because as Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verses 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It truly was good. Jesus knew it'll be great when the Helper comes. When the Spirit is poured out, it's good that I go away because then the Spirit will be poured out. And when the Spirit's poured out, it'll transform your lives because you will have not just this God be with you and in you, you're going to have his power. But just because Peter acted so boldly at Pentecost doesn't mean that he would walk in the Spirit continuously in the power of the Spirit. It doesn't mean that like, yeah, uh, you're going to be bold 24-7 no matter what. Because all you have to do is go read Galatians chapter 2 and Paul had to rebuke Peter because he shrunk back. And played the hypocrite about the gospel. If you recall in Galatians chapter 2, you recall there? He says, even so much so, these guys played the hypocrite that even Barnabas was drawn away from uh, by them and by their deeds. Because the Jews showed up, they're having their meal with the Gentiles, and here come these Jews showing up. And then then Peter and them and Barnabas, they're carried away and they shrink back and they they separate themselves from from the Gentiles so that they would would not you know, somehow appear unclean or defiled by their conduct with them. And Peter knows better. You know, have you not had personally in your life times where you shrunk back? And times when you've been bold? You realize it's not static. You're not always bold. You're not always walking in the fullness of the Spirit. I mean, I could tell, there have been times in my life when I've been as bold as a lion. It actually, it's like, whoa, that's shocking. It's like, Shockingly bold. And there's, there's times I've had the backbone of a jellyfish. And it's just shameful. And we often think, when we're bold, we like to take credit. Yeah, I'm bold. I've got some backbone. I'm tough. 
And then when we're weak, we're like, oh, man, we're all disappointed. I can't believe I caved. Well, maybe, you know, both those sides is totally messed up. Because when you're bold, you have to understand that that boldness and strength comes from the Spirit, not you. And that when you're weak, that is just nothing but who you really are in the flesh. You're a pansy apart from the Spirit. That's who you are. That's, that's, we're weak vessels, but with the Spirit, we're bold. You know, when I'm not doing so well, and I haven't been cultivating my walk with God, and I'm not setting my mind on the things of the Spirit, things of the Spirit and I'm not in, in, in that space, I almost normally don't do so well. I can't walk into environments, and, and if I'm required to have boldness, I almost always lack it. But if I am cultivating the awareness of, of the fact that God dwells in me, and I am cultivating my relationship with Him and a communion with Him, and I'm not walking in sin, it's always inevitable that I have boldness. So it isn't that the, the Spirit comes and the Spirit brings, gives you power, and that 24-7, all the time now, we think, well, if I have the Spirit, I have power, and when I'm weaker, when I'm, what's the problem? Why am I not walking in strength and power of the Spirit? I thought I had the Spirit. Well, it's because you have not been, you have been not on a, on a continual basis walking in the Spirit. You actually, you can easily cultivate your flesh and, and, and actually grieve the Spirit and find yourself incredibly weak. Or you can cultivate, you know, life in the Spirit, walk according to the Spirit, set your mind on the things of the Spirit, and find yourself incredibly strong, bold. And so often, oh Lord, sometimes, this, have you ever found yourself doing this? Please fill us with your spirit that we might have strength. And then we go on in the things we think about, the things we do, the things we talk about, the fellowship we have, does nothing but, but feed the flesh. We have, you know, if we're gonna walk in the spirit, we must set our mind on the things of the spirit. Otherwise, we'll do nothing but walk in the flesh. And this is why we have in our lives, if you've ever seen it, you will see yourself when you're walking in the Spirit, you'll find yourself with strength and power. When you're walking in the flesh, you're a jellyfish. And you find yourself failing all over the place. Because the power comes from the Spirit. And if you're going to walk in power, do you want to walk in power? Well, then you have to be, get, get used to cultivating a mindset that dwells in your mind is dwelling on the things of God. Your mind is dwelling on the fact that God's presence is with you. Your mind is cultivating this awareness continually as you walk with God. Another blessing the Spirit brings is that He compels us and He convicts us. And this is huge as well. One of the great promises of the new covenant was that God was going to give us new hearts. And He was going to write the law, uh, His law on them. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will clean you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I'll put, uh, that I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Did you hear that? This is the, one of the glorious promises of the the, the gospel, the new covenant that's going to happen in Christ. Joel speaks of it. Jeremiah speaks of it. God is going to pour out His Spirit. He's going to take that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You know, there's a reason why Moses, God had Moses write the Ten Commandments on, on tablets of stone because they reflected Israel's heart. Hearts of stone. Ding, 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 ding. You're never going to get it. 
This is why we needed the Spirit so that He would write His law in our hearts and we would obey His commands. In practical terms, this happens as you and I are compelled and convicted to do certain things. So you want to know how does that work itself out? But the Spirit comes, He changes our hearts, and He writes His law in our hearts. What does that look like in the details? It looks like a person who's convicted and compelled to obey God. Even when their flesh desires to not obey God and do their own thing. You now actually become somewhat of a conflicted person. Because in the Spirit, you desire to obey God, but in your flesh, you often desire to be satisfied. I remember a couple of times when I knew telling a lie would be so beneficial for me, and my flesh wanted to do it so badly. But it's almost like I was just, I was compelled by God that I knew I had to tell the truth. And, and, and there I was, Feeling like I wanted, I wanted to lie because it would work. It was, it would be really beneficial. <laughs> but being compelled to tell the truth, and it was like, Ugh. I knew that if I was, if I was to speak the lie, it would just come, and the person would know right, right away. Oh, you're lying. No, I'm not. <sighs> it was a, I've had some weird experiences like that where I just, I'm literally compelled. I'm like. I tell the truth and I tell it to my own hurt. I'm so thankful afterwards that that's what happened. But I, I sensed even there this battle, this war, this tension where in my flesh, oh man, if I just told that lie, it would work out so well. But it's as if God just had me by the neck, by the Spirit. And it's like I, I couldn't do otherwise. Now, don't get me wrong. I've had times where I've done things um, where I was aware that it was wrong and I did them because they were beneficial to me. And even though I had conviction, at the moment I had conviction, what was right. And those moments are the worst ever. The worst. And deeply, deeply convicting. You know, this is, this is something that is actually, and you, you think, we might just think this is, oh, this is just me being guilty. You know, we, we might see a picture. You ever see the picture, the cartoon? You know, you've got the angel on one shoulder and the demon on the other shoulder. And people just talk like this, like somehow, well, yeah, it's just a, it's just a thing we have. You know, our conscience convicts us and, and we want to do something. Well, there's a sense in which, yeah, your conscience does uh, prick. And people know it's wrong. But it's different when you're compelled and you're convicted to do what is right. And you don't understand, that is a massive blessing. Do you realize that if that wasn't there, you would go headlong into sin? Headlong. And that isn't you. That's not you in there being compelled and convicted to obey God. That's the Spirit of God. It's one of the things He's come to do. You know, another way the Spirit works in this regard is when we're, we're reading God's Word. We might be reading along and it says something like this. You shall honor your mother and father. And then not too long... Um, after reading that, you remember the fact that you had lipped them off. Now, this might not apply to all us older folks unless you remember what it was like to, 
you know, to know that you're to honor your mother and father, especially when you're under their roof. But even you, even the younger folks, they know the temptation. And so we dishonor them, disrespect them. And then all of a sudden we read the scripture that says, you shall honor your mother and your father. And it's like, <clears throat> and then the conviction settles in. And then you know, you might not like to, you might not want to, and you're like, I need to go ask their forgiveness. I need to ask their forgiveness. And, and then you go and forgive them. Do you realize that that is like, that is the gift of God? That's the Spirit of God at work in you. That's not you generating that. Especially when the Word of Truth, the Spirit of Truth brings the Word of Truth and He guides us into all truth. And as we're reading the truth, we find ourselves convicted. We find ourselves compelled. We find ourselves drawn and, and, and moving towards righteousness. Let me, let me just tell you, if that happens in you, you are very blessed. That is unique to the new covenant. This is the work of the Spirit. And it's such a blessing. You know, the last thing I want us to look at in regard to these blessings is that the Spirit teaches and illumines us. Because it's kind of tied to what I just talked about and how the conviction and the, and the compulsion comes, even from reading the Word. But there's something else that happens. It's not just conviction and compulsion, but it's illumination and instruction. John fourteen twenty six says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John sixteen thirteen. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. In Ephesians chapter 1, 17 through 18, Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. So, you know, one of the main blessings of the Spirit is that the Spirit comes into illumines our mind and bring revelation to us so that we can see, that we can understand. We see the truth, we remember the truth, and we have our eyes open to the truth, not because of anything in us, but because of the Spirit. That's a blessing of the Spirit. It's the only way that you and I can discern spiritual things. Even when it comes to recalling scriptures and having it minister to us and, and, and it comes into your mind, this is not your mind working. This is the work of the Spirit. The Spirit's illuminating your mind, bring, recalling, th- bringing things to your mind, scriptures to mind. Understanding the work of Jesus, seeing what He's done for you. If you can see it, you can perceive it. You perceive who you are, who God is, and what Jesus has done. These are spiritual things that are spiritually discerned. I love Second First Corinthians chapter two, where He says in verses twelve through fourteen, the natural man cannot discern these things. They're spiritually discerned. He says this: Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. Did you hear that? The person, the natural person, is someone without the Spirit. They do not accept the things of God, and they're folly to him. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. 
He goes on to say, he is not able to understand them, and here's why. Because they're spiritually discerned. It's the Spirit who allows you to see it, understand it, perceive it. It's the Spirit who allows your mind to go, wow, wow, that's fascinating. To see and to glory in God. To glory in the Gospel. To delight in Jesus and who He is and all that He's done. You know, the fascinating part about all of this is that we become so used to it. You know, if it's commonplace, it's commonplace that you sit here and you can understand and perceive and believe the gospel. We almost just think it's us. That we have, uh, we're convicted and we're compelled to obey God. We can just think, well, that's just me growing up in the church. The fact that we have power from the Spirit, power to stand up and be strong and bold, well, that's just, you know... Yeah, uh, I guess you learn to be strong after time. It's so easy for us to give ourselves credit, for us not to perceive the work of the Spirit. Because the work of the Spirit is so often, like John said, the wind. Or Jesus said in John. It's like the wind. You don't know where it's coming or where it comes from. And all you can perceive is its effects. And that's the thing about the Spirit. Is the Spirit at work in your life? Do you know that if the Spirit is, the blessings you have and the things you need to look at are this. Is the Spirit at work in my life? Do I have the Spirit? Well, just ask yourself this. Does God dwell with you? Do you know His presence? Do you know His power? Do you know His illumination? Do you know His conviction and His compulsion to obey? Do you know these things? If you know these things, it's a testimony to you. It's an encouragement to you. Do you realize the Spirit of God dwells in you? You are His and you belong to Him. And if you don't know these things, it should be a warning to you. Realize if you don't know, if you don't know the presence of God, if you don't know the power of God, if you don't know the conviction of God, and if you don't know the illumination of God by the Spirit, you don't know God. You don't have the Spirit. And this is what's so beautiful about it because it, it, it brings so much clarity to who, who we are and where we stand with God. You know, if you look at our lives and, and if you look at all the sins and the, and the failures and the things that you do, and you try from that to discover whether or not you know, is God with me? Am I His? Do I belong to Him? Does Jesus love me? And you're looking at, you're looking at your own works. How did I do this week? The things that I thought, the things that I said, the things that I did. You know, how I treated my spouse or, or my parents or my children or, and you're looking at yourself and you're looking at the things that you've done. There's plenty there to say, I doubt it. You don't know God. The Spirit of God does not dwell in you. But those are, that's not what the, the scriptures explicitly show, tell you to look at. There are times when, it, like, if there's no obedience, if you don't obey God, if you walk and live in sin, and there is no conviction, then yeah, first John says, yeah, you better, you better realize something. This is really vitally important to understand. You don't know God. You don't belong to God. That's just the clarity of it. You want to know if you know God? You want to know if you belong to God? Well, do you know His presence? Do you know His power? Do you know His conviction? Do you know His illumination? That's clear. You're looking at the signs of the Spirit in your life. Does the Spirit do these things in your life? If yes, 
You should, you should greatly rejoice because that has nothing to do with you. That, that, that's not you. And it's not because of you. It's because of God by the Spirit. That's what it is. That should create thankfulness. It should create joy. It should create rejoicing. The fact that, oh Lord, my God, you dwell in me by the Spirit. But I tell you what, if it's not present, it's not there. I pray, and the thing is, it wouldn't even bother you, actually, if it's not present and the Spirit doesn't work on you to help you see that. You could care less, probably. But I pray that the Spirit would illumine you and allow you to see that, and you go, you know what? If I look at my life, I don't see His presence, I don't see His power, I don't see His conviction, I don't see His illumination in my life. And you'd see that, and by the Spirit, if you see that and you see the absence of it, and you see, whoa, God is not with me, I don't know God, that right there is the gift of God to help you to see that. So may God, on this Pentecost day, help us to see on the one hand the tremendous blessings that come from this pouring out of His Spirit. And on the other hand, hopefully those who don't know the Spirit can see that they don't know and have and possess these blessings and would turn to God and receive the Spirit. And they would know these tremendous blessings in their life. May God have mercy on us all. Amen.